Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John, fourth book of the New Testament, Gospel of John, and we will be reading from chapter one. It's familiar to you, and what a brilliant, brilliant passage it is. Gospel of John, chapter one, right at the beginning of the chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy and infallible word. I'm fully aware that the reading of John's gospel is not the traditional Christmas text. You would expect that on the first Sunday of December, the pastor would take you to the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, or Luke's gospel. John does not write about angels or shepherds, stars or sheep or wise men or any, uh, anything of the kind. Unlike Matthew's gospel or the gospel of Luke, he gives us no record of genealogy, nothing of the birth narrative, no angelic chorus, no heavenly music. There's no shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. There's no manger. There is no inn. John just gets right to the heart of the matter. And he does something that the other gospel writers do not do. He puts the greatest delivery of all time into human context. Now, I'm going to make, I'm going to go probably overboard in making a certain point this morning, and you may go, okay, Dan, we get it, we get it, we get it. But I'm doing it on purpose, and I'm doing it with great intention, particularly for when we turn the corner in just a few minutes. Some of this is going to be, uh, feel a little more like a teaching than it does preaching, but I ask that you make your best effort to stay with me this morning because I think the Lord is speaking to us. The first 18 verses of the Gospel of John chapter 1 are known as something. In fact, it may be indicated this way in your Bible, depending upon which version you have, but the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John are known as the prologue. No portion of the New Testament captured the imagination and the attention of the Christian intellectual community for the first three centuries of the church more than this brief section of John's gospel. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. The prologue summarizes how the Word, which was with God in the beginning, came into the sphere of time into the sphere of history and tangibility. How the Son of God was commissioned to leave the splendor of heaven and shrink and reduce himself to fit into our galaxy. Our galaxy. Just think of that for a second. And then to reduce himself even more, to fit into time, our years, our months, our weeks, our days required him to reduce himself and shrink himself even more. So large was he 
that he had to shrink himself even more to fit then into our planet, and finally reducing, becoming small enough to enter the womb of a woman. All of this to become the Jesus of history, so that the glory and the grace of God might be uniquely and perfectly disclosed to us who's thankful for it this morning. From this prologue, the early believers developed something that is called the Logos Christology, the Logos Christology, or the understanding of Christ as the Word. When we say the name Jesus Christ, let's be clear, Jesus is not the first name and Christ the last name. The name Christ is the Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah. Since Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Christ. Can I get a witness this morning? It is Messiah in the Hebrew, transliterated into the Greek, it is Christ. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. He is the Logos of God. This Greek term Logos means a thought or a concept the expression or utterance of that thought or that concept. As a description of Jesus Christ, therefore, Logos is particularly well chosen because in Him, in Jesus, are embodied all the treasures of divine wisdom. Jesus is the collective thought of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When we see this opening phrase that we're reading this morning and repeating of in the beginning, we understand that it is a link. It is a certain kind of link. It is the canonical link. Canonical is the list of sacred books. And I want you to see this if you've not seen it before, the link that we have, and we call this the canonical link. This in the beginning is that. From John's gospel, it's the link from John's gospel to the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures. Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning of the Bible says what? In? Say it again. In? Now... What we're reading today, this prologue, which is from the beginning of John's gospel, John chapter 1 says, in the beginning. Say it. This constitutes what is known as a canonical link between the light in Genesis chapter 1 and the light in John chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, God says, let there be light. And in John chapter 1, verse 1, the light shows up. Hallelujah. Only this time, it's not the light of creation. This time, he's the light of redemption. Is there anybody with a hallelujah in the house today? In the beginning was the Word. Now, hear me carefully. This phrase is in no way implying that the Word had a beginning. It means that the Word has always existed. When you say, in the beginning was the Word, it has always existed. In the beginning was the Word. 
was, 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 was. When you look at the word was in the text, it is in the Greek in the imperfect tense. What does that mean? An imperfect tense always signifies an action of the past that continues in the present. So let me give you another way of reading this. It could be more, it would be more accurate to read, in the beginning was, in the beginning is, and in the beginning forever and always shall be the Word. Bethlehem is where he was born, but Bethlehem is not where he began. He has no beginning. He is God's agent back in creation. When God said, let us make man in our own image and in our likeness, Jesus was there. He was present in the beginning. In fact, let your imagination stretch as far back as you possibly can, and you will still find Jesus in the beginning. Are you still with me this morning? Therefore, I am declaring him today to say he is God eternally. Say that with me. He is in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. He did not begin at Bethlehem. He is God's co-regent. He is God's fellow. He is God in the flesh. He always was. There never was a time when He was not. Can I get an amen today? Are you still with me? I promise you I'm going somewhere here today. I should probably warn you that um, I've taken a pretty deep dive into this passage this week and discovered some things that are, to me, extremely interesting. And I just must share a couple of them before I move on. Students of Scripture will know something about the early church fathers. And they will know, and many of you have studied this, that the first council of the church, meeting of the church, Council of the Church was held during the reign of Emperor Constantine. And during Constantine's reign, there was a man by the name of Arius. Arius was saying that there was a time when the Son, the Son of God, Jesus, there was a time when He was not. He was saying that which is contrary to what we understand and believe the Word to say. That's what Arius was arguing. So there was a council convened in Nicaea in the year 325 to argue the pre-existence of Jesus Christ. And the two that were going at it the most, Arius was saying, no, he did not exist earlier. Uh, Athanasius was saying, yes, he did. And Athanasius presented this theological argument of something called homoousio, homoousio, which means of one substance. I need you to hang on to that word, of one substance. That was what Athanasius was presenting in argument to Arius, who was saying he's not always been. And this homoousius says, says Jesus Christ is essentially, eternally, and equally God. There never was a time when Jesus was not. At Bethlehem, he showed up, but he already was before Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem, but he was in the beginning 
I say it again, in the beginning was the Word. He is God eternally. I'm speaking of Jesus is God eternally. And that what we call Christmas time, He came to bring eternity into the midst of our time. And I want to illustrate that for just a second in my effort to regain your attention as I'm dragging you through some of this technica these technicalities. A postman lost his wife in a tragic car accident. It happened one year about two months before Christmas. He had only one child, a little girl. He cried himself to sleep every night because of the loss of his wife. He got up every morning, went to work, trying to work himself excessively hard in an effort to forget about the pain and the grief he was going through due to his wife's tragic death. So what he did was he took on an extra job at the post office to sort mail that had been lost and had not been delivered to its proper destination. One day he was sorting through this pile of lost mail and he happened to pick up a letter which had his address on it. And then further inspection showed him it was written in his daughter's handwriting. His seven-year-old daughter, she had written a letter to Santa Claus. Somehow the letter had become lost, not delivered anywhere, and it ended up in this pile of lost mail that he was sorting through. When he saw his own address written on his own daughter's handwriting, he opened the letter and he read the letter she had written to Santa Claus and the little girl had said this, Dear Santa, my mommy died two months ago and every night my daddy cries himself to sleep. My daddy tells me that the only thing that will bring healing to him is eternity. So Santa, can you bring eternity to him at Christmas? Beloved, that is exactly what happened. That is exactly what happened. Eternity at Christmas time, that which we call Christmas time, eternity was brought to you, brought to us. So what that means to us today is whatever is your brokenness, Whatever is shattered in your life, whatever's wrong, whatever's hopeless, whatever is dark and shadowy in your life, whatever is down, God brought eternity into the midst of time at Christmas. Blessed be his name forever. And every time we celebrate this season, it is a vivid reminder to us that eternity has intersected with time. Oh, I wish I had somebody listening to me this morning. I wish Pastor Des was here to talk about it. No one could talk about eternity kissing time the way Pastor Des could. But for the first time, when this took place, the first time in human history, instead of the baby resembling the mother, the mother resembles the baby. And for the first time in human history, we get an opportunity to look down at heaven as we gaze upon the Christ child. Time and eternity intersect at Bethlehem of Judea, not because he was born there, because he was given there. He is eternally God. There has never been a time when he was not. Can you say amen to that today?
Arius tried to argue otherwise. And the argument of Arius, quite frankly, is also the argument of the Jehovah's Witnesses. The Jehovah's Witnesses say that Christ is a God, small g. But that's not what our text says. Our text says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I paid attention in English class at school. I, I enjoyed it, though I certainly don't claim to remember all that much about all the parts of speech and all the rules of grammar. I learned enough to be dangerous, and I remember enough to have a great love for the English language, which served me well when working for many years along professional, with professional songwriters who almost always I find to be experts in linguistics. And I'm able to transfer some of my limited understanding of linguistics when I look at the Greek of the New Testament. So let me just tell you this, and hang on with me, stay with me. But in Greek syntax, when there is a predicate nominative noun that precedes an indefinite verb, I lost you some of you already, when that happens, there's no need for a definite article such as a or the. I'm going to give you that again just because I want to be a blessing to you. When there's a, you English people will love this. When there's a predicate nominative noun that precedes an indefinite verb, there's no need for a definite article. Article like the, the piano, the stairs. No need for the or a. So why am I telling you that? I'm telling you that this morning that he is not a God. He's not even the God. He's just God. And he's God eternally. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He is God eternally. And in the second place, I'm still on verse number one. <laughs> he is God equally. Would you say that with me? In the beginning was the Word. That's God eternally. And the Word was with God. That is God equally. He is called the Word because the word, a Word is a visible expression of an invisible thought. A Word is a visible expression of an invisible thought. Whenever you speak a Word, what are you doing? You are birthing a thought. Whatever you say is what you send forth. And so since Jesus is the Word, Jesus is God saying something. Jesus is God expressing a thought. Jesus is God sending forth His mind. The Logos, the visible expression of His invisible thought. That statement that the Word was God and was with God, tells us this, that Jesus is face-to-face -face equal with God. Homoousia, they are of the same essence, the same. Homoousia is what that means, of the same substance, of the, of the same essence. That means this, and I'm telling you what I'm doing is I'm exalting Jesus today, and I'm looking for somebody in the house who will exalt him with me. Jesus is not a demigod. Jesus is not a semi-god. 
Jesus is not God Jr. He was with God, face to face with God. When God said, let us make man in our own image and likeness, imago Deo, Jesus, that means the image of God, was the one he was talking to. Jesus is the speech of God. Jesus is the thought of God. He is God's agent in creation. He is the smoke which appeared between the two cherubim. He is the stone that David let go from his slingshot. He's the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Jesus is the Shekinah cloud that rested in the tabernacle when the children of God were in the wilderness. Jesus is God saying something. Give me a hallelujah today. What does that mean to you? It means to every child of God sitting in this house under the sound of my voice today, God is still saying something. He's speaking to you. He's speaking to you. Though your sins be as scarlet, you can be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they can become white as wool. Somebody ought to say hallelujah. God is still saying something. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? God is still saying something to his people. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He's still saying something. Somebody help me exalt the name of Jesus in this house today. The name that's above every other name. He's the root of, he's the root of Jesse. He's the stump of David. He's the wisdom of God. He's the light and life of men. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. From my friends in the black church, I have learned a term that is well established in that church culture. It has a name. It's called homiletical musicality. Homiletical musicality. It's an actual phrase that was coined by a pastor named Evans Crawford. And he said this about this phrase he coined, homiletical musicality. He said, it's the hum. It's the the cadence that takes place in the black preaching experience. And it simply means this. When the preacher says something, you say something. In the white church, we just sit there and listen to it. Anybody here ever been in the black church? Homiletical musicality means when the preacher says something, then you say something. It is a vivid expression of what's referred to as the call and response. It's what it is. It's the call and response. It's the back and forth that goes on between the preacher and the congregation. It's homiletical musicality. I say something. Well, I'm here to tell you the same thing happened in eternity past. God said something. Jesus said something. God spoke, and it came into being. God said, let there be, and everything that was not began straining to become. That's the call and response 
That's the back and forth. Jesus and God always back and forth. I only do what my Father says. My Father and I are one. So when we gather in this house on Sunday morning, there is this cadence, there's this drumbeat, there is this call and response. Why? Here's a reason for it. I'm not in this alone here this morning. I'm not the only one preaching this sermon this morning. You know why? Because you know who I know. You've met who I've met. You've been saved by the same one who saved me. And so when I say something, one day in Bethlehem of Judea, God said something. God said, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, I still love you. No matter how dark your past is, you can come to me and be saved. He said something, we say something. No matter who does not love you in Fort Worth, I love you in heaven. God said something, so you ought to say something. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so in this house today. Let everything that has breath. God said something. And I'm confident he's saying something to someone in this place right now. Some of you have had a hard year. Not just a hard week or a hard month or a hard day. You've had a hard year. And the only reason that you can even show up in this house today is because God said something. He said something to you like this. Weeping may last for the night. But joy comes in the morning. Joy, unspeakable joy, comes in the morning. Oh, hallelujah to the Lamb of God forever. Blessed be the name of Jesus. He is God eternally. He's God equally. I'm still in verse 1. And the Word was God. Say it again. And the Word. He's not only God eternally. He's not only God equally. He is God essentially. And the Word was God. That is, in his essence, in what he actually is, in his nature, his person, personality, in his attributes and character, Jesus is all that God is. All the essential characteristics of deity are his. He exists in his own right, independent of all creation. Does God have the wisdom and power to create a hundred million galaxies, fling them into space, hold them whirling through space at enormous velocities on inconceivable paths according to fixed laws, expending prodigious amounts of energy? Yes, he does, and so does Jesus. Such is God's ineffable person. And the great news to you and me today is that God did not send a lesser than himself. 
God loved you so much that he did not send a lesser than himself. Because to save me, he'd have to come himself. If you're like me, sins were so bad, the darkness of my soul so pronounced, God couldn't send an angel to take care of that. My iniquities, my trespasses were of such a nature that in order to save me, he'd have to come himself. And I'm so glad money can't save. How many of you are thankful for that today? Some of us would be in pretty rough shape. I'm glad education can't save. I'm as much as I'm in favor of education. I also understand that not everyone gets that opportunity. And I'm really glad that youth and good looks doesn't save. Because when you get to a certain age, we don't need to talk about it. But I'm so glad God came himself. Is there anybody here this morning that you're looking back over your own life and you recognize that God had to come himself? Now, I know we have a few perfect folk in the room this morning who've never done anything bad, but I'm guessing there's at least 40 or 50 of us in the room this morning who have something in our past that we don't want to talk about today. But Jesus came himself, God in the flesh. And somebody ought to be thankful for it today. I'll take you back to the whole of our text. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. The darkness doesn't get that at all. Did not comprehend it. That is our text this morning. But I cannot conclude this message until I include one more verse. Just a few verses down. It's verse 14 of this first chapter of John. And it says this. And it's why we've come to this season. And the Word, the Word became flesh. And lived and dwelt among us. And we saw him. We beheld his glory. Not just an image, not just a spiritual thought, not something vague and manufactured in our imagination. We saw him. We beheld his glory, John says. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Can I just declare one more time today, it was no one but Jesus, the eternal one. This word which created the world, this reason which controls the order of the world has become a person and with our eyes we saw him. And John is saying, if you want to see what this creating word this controlling reason is like, look at Jesus of Nazareth, born in Bethlehem. And so this morning, if there's anyone here who's grateful that Jesus the Word became flesh to dwell among us, if there's anyone here who's not embarrassed to testify, if there's anyone here who does not care who's looking at you, then I'm asking anybody here who's grateful for the word this morning. I want you to stand to your feet and help me praise the name of Jesus right now.
Blessed be your name forever, mighty God. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Because this morning we are thanking God not for a Christmas tree, not for a pine wreath on the door, not for lights and bulbs on the house, not for presents under a tree, but there was a hill called Calvary. And on that hill was the tree where Jesus died. But early on Sunday morning, he got up with all power and authority in his hand. And I'm just saying, if the Lord has made a way for you, then I want you to bless his name in this house today. Put your hands together. Shout your praise to the word, the eternal one. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Lead us in a song, Pastor Murphy. 